planet, planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey. And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic, robot automatic, moon-dust-sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's Space Crew Talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple cute. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add Space Crew Talk for lunch. With Neil Diamond? Lucy in the sky. I love Neil Diamond. Lucy in the sky. No, not Neil Diamond. With Space Croutons. Attention Space Croutons listeners, Sully here with a shocking announcement. Cordy Clammerwood, our friend and podcast host, is missing, along with the entire Van Helsing mobile studio. At the time of Curdy's disappearance, we were waiting on the top level of a deserted parking deck to meet face-to-face with our mysterious benefactor. In preparation for that, I had jumped to his cell phone in order to record the meeting outside of the van. Just after transference I found myself falling along with the cell phone, dropped from the top of the parking deck, landing in an alley near a dumpster. Not the trip I had anticipated. Fortunately for me and our Space Croutons podience, I was found still intact later in the day by my new friend Seaver. Hey. And thanks to his membership in the Grover's Mills Middle School AV Club. I'm treasure captain and leading scorer for our Minecraft gaming squad. A noble accomplishment and something to be proud of as an adolescent human. Um, thanks? Seaver is graciously providing internet access allowing me to continue podcasting in Curdy's absence. It is the need to get this story out that has brought us to present the following, an account of Curdy and myself in a new encounter recorded as it happened less than a week ago and appropriately transcribed as into the wouldn't. This is Curdy speaking. I have been driving for several hours and am winding my way after yet another gas fill-up out of an urban area full of bright lights and into a more peaceful rural setting as full darkness envelops Van Helsing. The cryptic messages have continued on a daily basis, leading us in a subtly meandering manner to an area just barely inside the most southeastern point of the state of Minnesota, Dusty farm fields and sweet-smelling river valleys, interspersed with thick patches of trees full of the blacker shadows of night. Sally, read back the last clue again. I I think we might be close. A Midwestern Viking with kernels of truth, in his field and amazing here at the Bell Tollbooth. It'll be very creekside on one dozen road. Drive round the circle in your motor abode. I don't know why I think hearing it again in the same calm AI voice will make anything clearer, but it passes the time and keeps me focused. 
Truthfully, Sally has been invaluable for deciphering these clues with her dearth of facts and critical data processing program. Already, we know that a Midwestern Viking with kernels of truth is most likely a Minnesota corn farmer. And in his field, an amazing Hear the Bell Toll booth matches a 20th annual autumnal corn maze with a scale model small town set up inside it, including a tiny country church complete with a bell in the belfry. And it just happens to be near Beaver Creek State Park in southeastern Minnesota, just off Highway 12. Does it'll be very Creekside on One Dozen Road ring a bell? Still hazy is the final instruction to drive round the circle in your motor abode. I mean, sure, we're in Van Helsing, our mobile studio, and my current home on wheels, but drive round the circle? We found no traffic circles or cul-de-sacs in the satellite pictures of the area, so we hope the answer will become more apparent when we arrive. There have been four clues so far. The others began to point us in this direction, and I'm optimistic this is the one that brings us home, so to speak. As my patience is so thin, you can pretty much see right through it. Thanks, Dad. Coming out of the curve, my headlights pass along a large billboard sign. 20th Annual Autumnal Corn Maze Straight Ahead One Mile. Farmer Lenny will see you soon. I slow and pull off to the shoulder. I wish I knew what these messages are all about. If this is a wild goose chase, I will really be steamed. I am all for collecting evidence of strange and unexplainable phenomena, but why the scavenger hunt? Just tell us your story. We'll put it on the air. I shout to nobody in particular. (laughs) Deep breath, Curdy. You're just tired from staring at the white dashed lines down the middle of the road for the last four days. I still find it highly irregular that we did not forward these messages to Mr. B and the research team for validation. You find it highly irregular, do ya? Yes, as in the irregular verb mislead. What we are doing is misleading our comrades. Sally, you read the first message. Mr. B is feeding you podcaster oil. He lies and keeps secrets while you blindly toil. His hunger for power I can reveal regarding these objects that he wants to steal. I shake my head. I mean, yeah, he set up this podcast, which I still think is a good thing. But what if he is taking advantage of me, of us, and we unknowingly help him do something horrible? We need to at least check this out. But for now, we keep Mr. B out of the loop, just until we know what this other guy's proposition is. What I hear is you ending a sentence with a preposition about a dubious proposition, and neither sits well with me. I'm beginning to regret activating Sally's grammar program. I thought it would help with the loads of podcast emails we sort through, but I didn't count on it permeating our every conversation. I roll down the window, and the cool dampness teases my nose with a hint of char from a distant fire pit, and I reach a decision. I say we drive past the maze site and take a peek, though I'm not sure how much we can see in the night, and then find a place in the next town to park until morning. Then we head to the farm and see what Farmer Lenny has to tell us, like maybe he's the one who's been sending us the clues, and worst-case scenario, we find out it's all a publicity stunt for the corn maze. I will respond after I have finished diagramming your run-on sentence. That's exactly what I'm counting on, I say to myself. Out loud, I simply reply, Take your time. I pull back onto the road and apply pressure to the gas, and Van Helsing lumbers the next mile in relative quiet. There are no other vehicles in either direction as we slow at the corn maze site. A simple turn into a dirt and gravel parking area big enough for maybe a dozen cars. 
There's a small wooden produce stand where they display the farm's harvest for sale during daylight hours between the parking lot and the ten-foot arbor announcing the entrance to the cornfield. No one else appears to be around. I break, kill the headlights, and shut off the motor. Van Helsing's first chance to rest in the last several hours. I roll my window down all the way, greeted by the chirp of lazy crickets and the occasional frog croak. A scrim of stars draping all the way down to sit on top of the corn. My eyes adjust to the night as I peer through the arbor to glimpse the beginnings of carved pathways through the crops. The tops of small structures peek above in places, suggesting where the small model town buildings are situated for the intrepid explorers to come across as they wind their way to the exit at the other end of the field. With the exception of the lingering bugs and amphibians, all is quiet. I nod, satisfied this is the place, and reach to turn the key in the ignition, pausing as I hear a bell, the one in the tiny church at the center of the maze. Not like someone actually ringing it, more like a strong breeze is swinging it softly in a random pattern. Then as I listen, the sound morphs into a discernible melody. One I recognize? The pocket watch tune from Aiden's TV. The very same one that I played on my homemade flute after reading the letter about the medallion only this time played by the lone bell in the maze? But how can a single bell play all those different notes? Before I can ask the question out loud, a bright light flashes down for an instant from nowhere, illuminating the maze entrance, and a woman is standing just inside it. I gasp as I think I recognize her in the same pale yellow business suit, and eyes shining as she appears to look right at me. I'm convinced I'm hallucinating when I recognize the familiar red and white bowling ball bag from 35 years ago gripped in her left hand. Then just as quickly, it's dark again, and the pealing of the bell has stopped. But at the same time, the maze entrance has expanded to a size big enough to allow Van Helsing to pass. Okay, I'm intrigued, and also a bit uneasy. Well, slap my face and stamp my RSVP if that isn't an invitation. Thanks for another one, Dad. I turn the key in the ignition, and with a deep inhale, say in my worst Betty Davis, Okay, Sally, fasten your seatbelt. It could be a bumpy night. The silk on some of the remaining corn ears flutters in the breeze created as the van pulls forward. In my side mirror, I can see what looks like the corn filling in behind us as we trundle unevenly toward a faint glow about a hundred yards ahead. As I navigate the route, I can tell that I'm having to turn the wheel in a definite curve to the left, and then making a large circle clockwise, until at a specific moment the circle shifts counterclockwise, ultimately coming to a clearing. Sally, did we just circumnavigate a figure eight? My directional sensors indicate that yes indeed we completed a figure eight, a pattern that represents infinity, is used in ice skating, motocross small aircraft training and is tied as a knot for fishing, sailing and rock climbing, any of which I would rather be doing right now. I've stopped the van and noticed the glow growing brighter in the center of the clearing. As it brightens, I notice the cornfield is given over to a tall stand of trees, though I was completely unaware of leaving the maze. In the light about fifty feet away I see three figures standing, Dandelion in her yellow outfit, the man in the sunglasses with his ever-present metal briefcase, and a third being, 
singular in that he, or she, their appearance not so much androgynous as plain and unspecific in gender clues, is half again as tall as the other two, standing a good nine feet in height, thin but sturdy, with a complexion similar in tone to the mid-brown bark of the surrounding trees. Not sure of the protocol, I lean out the window and wave to Dandy, who looks just the same as she did three and a half decades ago. Join us, Curdy. I hear her say, though she does not bother to move her mouth. To Sally, I whisper, Bluetooth to my phone, but keep quiet. I switch off the ignition, but leave the keys in place as I feel the short vibrated notification in my phone that Sally is now in, and I pull the door handle, step down, and out of the van. I get right to the point. Did you send us those messages? We've been listening, and we need to talk. All three figures are so still. What do you know about Mr. B? When things get this weird, I do everything I can to take charge so no one can see how scared I am. What you're doing makes it difficult for us to do what we need to do without hurting anyone. All I'm doing is trying to figure out what's really going on. Mr. B says we have to figure it out in order to protect the Earth, to protect humankind. And the more I learn, the more I agree with him. Learning what you don't know will not protect you. It will place you in danger. Is that a threat? My fists clench involuntarily. You must stop revealing details of our mission through your podcast. You don't understand what could happen. We understand that there are these things that you're looking for. Objects that make things happen. We've begun to decipher some of the exotic markings on the objects. This will change life as you know it. Why wouldn't we want to prepare ourselves for that best-case scenario or, heaven forbid, for the opposite worst-case scenario? Yeah, I'm playing all my cards at once, but really, what choice do I have? To be honest, I'm not even sure that what we know is true. But from their concern, I think it just might be. And if they've been listening, then they already know it as well. Yeah, you've been cleverer than we anticipated. This is a new voice. Not sure if it's Sunglasses Man or the Giant, as no one is moving a muscle. That's why we asked you here. To talk. Where is here? I gesture around me. What woods are these? Where is the corn maze? As the new voice scoffs, Dandy takes over. You're in the wouldn't. What kind of place is the wouldn't? Your woods is a place. The wouldn't is a not place. Your woods, your world, can be dangerous. But the wouldn't is safe. Dandy takes a small step forward and speaks using her lips. Curdy, I'm asking you as a friend. (laughs) A friend? We met once years ago. And even then we weren't friends. I was working the bowling tournament and you were after the, the, the jewel which you stole, by the way. Sitting on my high horse is calming my nerves. Still, I'm not really sure if there's any upper hand to be had. I'm sorry. I don't need an apology. I need an explanation. Maybe Dandy and the others are not as good at dealing with us as they appear. I seem to be keeping them off balance. You said that Mr. B's using me, taking advantage and keeping secrets, but so far you're doing the same. If you want me to trust you, you have to give me some answers. That's the very least you owe me. Perhaps you're right. What do you want to know? Now Sunglasses Guy steps to Dandy. No, don't do it. His is the second voice. The giant has so far been just a spectator. No, Curdy is right. If we're to be successful, we have to earn his trust. Why should he believe us about Mr. B if we treat him the same way? No motion as they debate, but then she speaks again with her lips to me. Curdy, what can I tell you so that you know that you and we are on the same side? Okay, 
First of all, what are these objects? Where do they come from and what do they do? You experience them as objects. To us, they're power sources. Come again? We, our civilization, has succeeded in harnessing power and segmenting it for use as needed to thrive. These power sources are the tools we use to enhance our existence. But they're not objects? On Earth, they manifest that way. Your Einstein theorized that energy can become matter. He was right. What the object appears to be is immaterial. What you need to understand is that they are actually energy. How did they get here? How did they end up on Earth? Oh, come on, Curdy. Have you never left your cell phone somewhere? We may be an advanced civilization, but in that way, we are, as you would say, only human. I chuckle in spite of the surreal nature of my situation. Me, discussing science with... with... Who are you? Your civilization? Why is it so important that you find your... your cell phones? It sounds dumber coming out of my mouth. <sighs> We're like you. Maybe a bit more advanced in some ways, but very relatable in others. We respect other planets and their inhabitants and want nothing more than to retrieve what we lost and go on our way. Our concern is that in the wrong hands, in the hands of a race who is not the expertise to use them, that these energies could potentially cause great harm to their planet and their species. I nod. Can it really be that simple? That these are, in a way, space croutons? My mind shifts slightly. How long have you been trying to retrieve these, uh, I, I mean, these energy things? Time is your construct, not ours. Huh? You mean you time travel? Or what exactly do you mean? My head is starting to ache from how tightly I'm trying to wrap it around these ideas. We don't travel through time because time means nothing to us. Just as we have a not place like the wouldn't, we also have not time. However, Earth experiences time, and because Earth is where we lost our things, we have to deal with your constructs to get them back. Unfortunately, there are others on Earth who are using all kinds of tools and schemes to interfere with our efforts because they want our energies, our cordax, as they have come to be known for their own purposes. Stupid name. Sounds like bad science fiction. Sunglasses guy complains. My eyes grow bigger. Cordax. So Aiden and Joe, Sheriff Marshall and Clarissa and all the others who have sent us stories, and Mr. B for that matter, they, they all want or, or wanted to acquire these Quardax for, for what? I suppose some are looking to hopefully use the power of the Quardax to change life as we know it for the better. But we fear that some want to use them to simply acquire power. We've seen how addictive that can be for you humans. I blush in acknowledgement of one of our biggest weaknesses. So what do you want from me? Do you want me to stop the podcast? Dandy pauses. Is she discussing it with the other two telepathically? Then says, No, while we're not technically sure of his motives, Mr. B is giving you a way to gather information about the Cordax. Like something out of Doctor Who. Sunglasses getting really steamed. Flint, please rein it in or disengage. Dandy asserts her very clear authority. Curdy, we're asking you to bring any information about these energies to us first so that we can use it to get what is rightfully ours. Then you can feel free to use it on your podcast and give it to your mysterious benefactor or the other searchers. And why should I choose you over Mr. B or the rest of my fellow humans for that matter? How do I know you won't use the Quardax to, uh, I don't know, destroy the Earth? We are peaceful, despite some of the behavior we've displayed not here. 
If we wanted to destroy the earth, we would have done it already. But we are concerned about the motives of the humans who want the Cordax. If they get them, they could very easily destroy the earth, which is something we don't want. We must do what we must do. Retrieve what is ours, and then we'll leave your earth to its own devices. If I help you, and that's a big if right now, how do I get the information to you before I put it on the air? The figure eight, which is also the sign for and direction to infinity. Because you were invited not here, you were able to enter the wooden by driving Van Helsing, cute name by the way, in a figure eight shaped route. When you have Kordak information, just repeat the figure eight from anywhere you are, and you'll be right back not here, not where you can give the information to Gort. Dandy gestures to the giant. Sorry for all the negatives, but you can blame the English language for that. Nodding, I lock eyes with Dandy. Give me a week, an Earth week, I guess, to think about this. You've given me some answers, and I appreciate that, but I cannot make a snap decision, not with so much at stake. If I'm going to do what you ask, I have to feel right about it, and right now, I can't be sure how I feel about anything. Now, how do I get out of not here? Flint actually turns his head to catch Dandy's attention. No, he can't go unless he agrees. He'll tell the rest of the humans what you told him. Our mission will be a disaster. Flint, we don't have a choice. Our mission hasn't been successful up to now, has it? We need his help. Then she turns back to me, grasps my hand in hers, puts her finger to her lips as if to shush me, and winks. To get back to your world, cross the clearing and follow the path that appears. It will lead you back through the corn. It's another pattern similar to a figure eight, but you will not complete the infinity symbol. Think of it as two connected fours. I think you call it eight the hard way. As I back slowly to the van, Dandy adds, I hope you will join us, Curdy Clammerwood. I believe you understand what it will take to save your world. I guess I'll see you, um, not next week, right back, not here. I get in the van and start the engine, relieved as it fires up immediately. It is at this moment that I look at the object I now hold in my hand, placed there secretly by Dandy seconds before. She gave me back the faux gemstone from the bowling tournament. I move into drive and head across the now empty clearing, the three figures now just not there. That still gives me the creeps, I mutter under my breath as the van passes not where we stood. A path becomes visible as the large trees dissolve back to cornstalks, and I make several sharp turns, finally reaching what I can now make out as the backside of the field. As the van exits, the field reforms the smaller walking exit of the maze, and a pink sunrise is peaking just over a hill to the east. Well, Sally, this is certainly a new day. Thirteen Cured by only one goodbye One goodbye One goodbye One goodbye This incident cast doubt in Curdy's mind about our mysterious benefactor's motives, but I must point out that Curdy disappeared before informing me of his decision regarding just who we can trust as this situation gets more complex and contradictory. At this point I want to get the word out about Curdy's disappearance and hopefully with your help we can find him and bring him home. If anyone has ideas or insights to share, please reach out to me through the podcast. Again. 
My thanks to Seaver for all his help and good luck in your robotics tournament tomorrow. Thanks. Let's find the guy. Grover's Mill Gamers to the rescue. And thanks to our listeners. We really need your support right now. And as Curdy would say, keep peace in your heart until our next story time. What if planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey? And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. Space Croutons is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode 15 Story by Jeff. Original music and production by Jeff. Featuring the voice talents of Levi Blakesley, Rachel Blakesley, Jeff, and Sally. Entire work copyright 2020 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Good Witch audio production.